Welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, and this is season four of the show. Welcome, 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 everyone. If you're new here, welcome. Dive in. The water is warm. How about that new theme song, though, huh? Well, the music isn't new, but the lyrics and the vocals are. Big ol' shout out to Meg Trowbridge and Cal Reichenbach, who collaborated on that little ditty for me. I really love it. I hope you do too. Um, Before we launch into today's episode, a tad bit of housekeeping. Please rate and review Me, Myself, and Millie on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the longevity of the show and also helps us reach a wider audience. And I'm not going to lie, it warms the cockles of my heart to read all your comments about how this show is helping you on your journey to parenthood. So take 60 seconds and go give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode features the fabulous Allison Michael and Jen Stevens from Berkeley, California. Allison is a cisgendered female and Jen is a trans female, and they both are moms to their wonderful and adorable son, Poe. A couple of content warnings before we hear about their journey to parenthood. First, This episode contains intimate details about someone coming out as visibly trans while also achieving parenthood. If hearing this kind of story is triggering for you, please bypass this episode. Second warning is for those still struggling with infertility. Jen and Allison conceived their son, Poe, before Jen's medical transition and without the need for any assisted reproductive technology. It wasn't until after they found out that Allison was pregnant that their road to parenthood started to take a different turn. But if this is hard for you to hear about a conception story without any roadblocks, I encourage you to also bypass this episode. Jen Allison, it's so great to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. You know, this is the first time that I've ever had a couple on the show. So thank you so much for helping me pop that cherry. Yes, it's a a totally new dynamic. You're welcome. Okay, before we launch into your story to parenthood, give us a snapshot of who you are, what you do, and where you live. All right. Uh, My name is Allison Michael, and I live in Berkeley, in the Bay Area, and I work in advertising around here, and I do some podcasting. That's kind of it, is uh, parenting, podcasting, and working. Not much else. That's a full plate. That's a full plate. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I'm Jen. I um, am a criminal and regulatory defense attorney here in the Bay Area. Have been for a little while. So I help people out who are in trouble. Um, Yeah. And then I do a lot of momming. I'm the flex mom. As in my, I don't work full time. And um, I also... um, Council queer and trans youth in my free time. I I love that. Where, do you go through a organization, Jen? Um, that is a great question. It it isn't 
it's like my organization, essentially. It's a Discord server to help um, people from all over the world. So it's like a chat server, which in um, the pandemic is something that I've spent more time with um, because it's just so important to people. I love it. And you, um, I love that term, flex mom. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think it like describes sort of what it means to both work and also be the primary um, childcare provider when that's necessary. Absolutely. And we've, we've gone back and forth. So mm-hmm. we've like, I've been flex mom at times. Jen's been flex mom, but she's currently flex mom. That's right. Got it. And um, Poe, where, like, who is, um, who's watching Poe these days? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. Our preschool has been open, I think, the entire time. And after 90 days of full-time childcare, we decided to send Poe back to school. And it's been really rad. He's been there for a while. They have, like, his pod, you know, it's the same four or five kids. It's been really safe. So we're really, we feel very lucky that he goes to the school he goes to where they've done this. Um, Cause I would have lost my mind by now. Oh, and I just see people losing their minds left and right, right now. Like, with, oh, it's so real with the childcare thing. It is such a real situation. Um, well, good for you guys for taking, you know, going and doing what you had to do. Um, how did you two meet? That's a great question. So we met in Oakland at a little bar called Cafe Van Cleef. But we, so that's that's the how and where. But um, we had a mutual friend who I knew when I was in high school and Jen knew in junior high, way back in Ohio. Shout out Megan. And she had tried for a really long time, like many years to uh, set us up while we both lived here in uh, Oakland and we um, ignored all of her advances. And then when we (laughs) did finally meet when she was in town, um, we hit it off and we're pretty inseparable uh, ever since. And when was that? 2011, fall 2011 is when we met. Um, Yeah. And she tried to get us together five years before, like we have the email. It's really, and we both ignored it. Mm -hmm. So there, it was like a matchmaker situation. It was like, it had previously been a matchmaker situation that we both avoided. Mm -hmm. And so it was truly serendipitous, but. uh, Allison had a boyfriend when we met. Oh yeah. You know, after, um, and I was told to like stay away from her by the, by the same woman (laughs) and it it was it was not this was not an adulterous relationship i just (laughs) happened to break up with that boyfriend like in the week in between when we met and hung out again no judgment no judgment just happened (laughs) it's true i was very traditional when we met and um made sure we dated before anything happened i love it i love it um, and you guys also, I feel like we also crossed paths on certain bars at the, was it Commonwealth? Was that mm-hmm. one of our stomping grounds when we were both in Oakland? I think that's right. Yeah. We spent a lot of time there. Um, we love the previous owners. Um, and yeah, watched a lot of soccer. 
That's right. You have a soccer-loving partner, right, I do. I do. And he, um, yeah, it's, it's his hardcore football, um, footballer in my house. Yeah, I was going to insist that we use the proper terminology, but I'm glad you beat me to it. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Um, Okay, so, well, let's dive in. How did you start the conversation about family building, and what did that dialogue look like? Oh, I think from the very beginning, I knew Allison wanted kids, and... um, So the weird thing about, at least for me, being transgender and not being out when I met her, like, I never really had, like, a a plan for my life. Like, I never had a roadmap or something laid out. Like, I didn't know what my life was going to look like as I got older. Just as, like, a psychological thing, I think. So I really liked Allison. Like, I knew that. And I knew that I really felt comfortable with Allison. Um, And so, like, that's why I sort of like bought into her life plan, I think is the best way of putting it. Like not all of us have like these ways that we think our life are going to go, I think. And, um, I found someone that I loved a lot and I wanted to help her achieve her, her life plan. So that's sort of how I looked at it. Love it. Allison, would you concur? Yes, I concur. I have always just like in my being known that I wanted to try to have kids and have kids. And so with Jen being my life partner, it just made sense. We were kind of, you know, settled down a little bit. Like we were married and we both had pretty solid jobs. And I think it just felt like a logical time to do it. Mm -hmm. But it, created a huge crisis for me that led to me coming out, which was good. Um, but I think as it became, as it started to become a reality or potential reality, I just, I realized like I was not a father. Like I knew who I was for a very long time. Um, but it's not something you try to think about every day in this world. Like being transgender is really hard. Um, despite how visible we are in 2020, 2021. Um, it's really hard and it's not something like a lot of us really want to do. And so like actually come out and transition. Like for me, I was just scared of it. I figured like, there's no way I'm doing that shit. I didn't even know what you could do. Um, and so I had this big crisis where I was like, I like, it was so, um, it created a lot of dysphoria. Like, I don't know how familiar your um, listeners are with sort of like the terms of trans life, but I would um, love for you to, share as much as you want to about that. Sure. So like uh, some trans people, not all trans people, but some trans people have um, gender dysphoria, which means like looking masculine for me was incredibly distressing um, psychologically. And also like being perceived in like in traditionally masculine ways or like super masculine roles was also fairly distressing to me. And so like the archetypical masculine role like in our society is the dad or the father. And as I started to like think about having to embody that role, like it just wasn't a possibility for me. It was like, it just, it led to a dead end for me in a really not good way. Um, And so, you know, it got me to get my stuff together and um, come out to Allison and start transitioning so that I could be the parent that I wanted to be and be a mom really. Um, 
And it's so funny because I was thinking about how, like, for someone like me, a, a trans woman, trans feminine person, wanting to be a mom was like such a big thing to me, even though it didn't track like the typical like infertility track. It was still this like huge desire that took all of this um, effort and pain to accomplish. Um, And then I got to the other side and I was like, wow, it's really fucking hard to be a mom. And I felt like that must also be a fairly common like path that people with fertility issues sort of travel as well. Cause it's like, all you want is this thing. And then you get to the other side of it and it's has all these challenges and can be so hard and feel just like, how is this like fun or, you know, like it's not what you imagined. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I think like there's some real parallels there. Like I know that trans people are seen as fairly unusual or like hard to imagine like what it's like, but it's very similar to a lot of the same sort of like hopes and desires people have about their bodies that maybe they have a hard time fulfilling, um, or can't fulfill. Like it follows a lot of those same pathways. Um, so yeah, like I'm indebted to my family for finally giving me the push to, to come out, um, and to be myself. And I have a lovely partner who I knew like was probably going to be okay with it. Um, going into our entire marriage. Like I'd almost been married to several people who I just couldn't see that ever happening with, I think. Um, but with Allison, I could. And so like, yeah, here we are. And did it ever come up in conversation um, before you started talking about children? Um, me being transgender? No. No. So the ch- like the child piece was really the the opening to it all. Totally. It, yeah. Like when we tell people our story, they're usually like, what (laughs) would that happen? What happened when, like, when was your child born? And when did you start medically transitioning almost at the same time? Um, to be really straightforward. Um, Poe has only ever known me as myself, you know, like, and I'm really, um, happy that I can, that I can be like that with him because not all, um, trans people, are able to transition before their, their kids are conscious basically. Um, and there are so many, I mean, like, you know, I don't know how you deal with like content warnings and stuff like that, but in my universe, like I would put a big content warning in front of this. Um, but like in a lot of places, including places like Sweden and the Netherlands and even like Japan still, they require trans people to get sterilized before you can medically transition. Like, yeah, the Netherlands um, till 2015, I think. Sweden until 2013. Japan still. Um, and these are just like anecdotal stuff. So like the way we think about like fertility and who's allowed to have children, like trans people are sort of like in the weird crux or focal point of some of those conversations. Mm, mm. Um, tell me more about content warnings because I hadn't even... I even thought of that like whoa my brains are on the the wall right now yeah I mean so people call them trigger warnings and they get a lot of um like stick or whatever like shit in the press or like comedians like to talk about them but what they really are is they let people who have specific traumas understand that they're about to experience content that could relate to those traumas so they get to decide whether or not they want to deal with that content 
Um, I would think that just like your podcast being a fertility podcast, there's sort of like your listeners are already consenting essentially to like exposure to a certain amount of content. But like for people who experience a lot of societal oppression, particularly if you're like visibly queer, visibly trans, so you're going outside and you're, you're experiencing what it feels like to be different on a regular basis. Um, it can be, it can feel good to try to protect yourself when you are allowed to, you know, when you have a choice, it's sort of like about giving someone a choice whether or not they want to participate in a certain topic. Totally. I see that. I see that. Thank you for um, explaining that to me. I appreciate it. Um, Allison, so um, when... Oh, wow. Of course. Of course. Hold on one second. It's my co-host of the show. Ah. Cleo! Cleo! Hey! Not now! (laughs) <laughs> oh she <laughs> she's opinionated you know she's got, she's got a lot to say about infertility <laughs> right <laughs> i get it Aww. um okay so jen I, i'm sorry allison what was going on for you during this time you were pregnant i was yeah i was about six months pregnant um you know, it's interesting. I think I was doing a lot of compartmentalizing, a lot of like, okay, I'm going to think about this pregnancy and this baby and all of that in this other separate kind of place. I'm going to work on like understanding Jen and learning and growing. And then I was like, also, it was like, but then I also like need to think about myself and like reacting. But I think, I mean, in retrospect, I can say this, um, you know, it was definitely more confusing at the time, but I can say it was a really helpful push towards understanding that life can't be super planned, you know, that you could have this idea of what your life is going to be like, and that can change. And I think that like, it really, it's been a journey of kind of accepting that, um, for myself and for my family and what that means and yeah, in our relationship. And so it was, it was hard and confusing at the time. Um, but I think there was, there was a lot happening and I just feel really grateful now that Jen was able to do this then, because I do also really believe in Poe, you know, having known her as her happiest, most, you know, true self. Like that's, that's so important to me. And so, uh, yeah, it's, so there's, there's a lot. (laughs) What a beautiful thing that you're showing Poe. Oh my gosh. You know, like what a beautiful, beautiful lesson in love and loving yourself. Like that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Thanks. I hope so. You know? Yeah. Um, so, Okay, to get down to the nitty-gritty, you did it the old-fashioned way. We did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happened after that? You got you got pregnant, Allison. Got um, pregnant. And tell share us the timeline about that. Oh, sure. Um So I think at the beginning, so this is 2016 that we got pregnant, at the beginning of the year, 
Um, I stopped taking birth control and was like, all right, let's do this. But I knew absolutely nothing. Like all I knew is that like we could not have to use birth control anymore. <laughs> and then like everything would be fine. Um, so it took, yeah, there, there was like more time and like it wasn't happening. And then I started to learn more about our reproductive system. I was like, oh, it can't, there are only a few days in the month that it really can happen. And wow, like it was a lot of uh, science that I should have known already from school, but didn't know. And um, so, yeah, we we were pretty lucky and that it happened pretty quickly. Like once we we got the the rhythm of things down um, and we got pregnant and we had a rough kind of confusing pregnancy just because I had like uh, a mysterious placenta previa. Have you ever heard of mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. Where the placenta was too low. It wasn't moving up, but they don't know what's going to happen because it could all change and be fine. And so we had planned this like amazing trip to Ireland and we were going to go travel and do all this stuff before we had a baby. And watch then football. Yeah, yeah, watch some football. We're going to go really? to the Liverpool City game in Manchester. All of this. We had this like great trip planned. And my doctor's like, yeah, you're not going to be traveling internationally right now. Not with like what's going on. But it was like this mysterious thing where it's like you can't feel anything. You can't see anything. They're just like warning you that it could, this could be really bad where the right. placenta is placed. You could have to have a scheduled C-section really early. Right. And I'm like, Okay. But they're like, but we won't really know until you're like 25 weeks or something like that, whether or not you're in the clear. Wow. Just a lot of unknowns. Yeah. So, so there was that. And then, so we, you know, rescheduled that trip. And that was also right around when, um, when Gemma's coming out. So yeah, it was always an interesting time. We had Poe in July of 2017 at uh, Alta Bates in Berkeley. And he was very late. Um, he was very cozy and did not want to come out. And so we ended up as, it's like, I didn't want to, because I had read articles that you shouldn't induce. And, you know, everyone has opinions. I was hearing so many different things. And, um, so eventually they're like, well, you kind of, you have to, because <laughs> this child may be too big. Um, so we planned it and it's a bizarre thing. Uh, you know, we had to wake up early in the morning, call the hospital, see if we could even come in. So the day just even started strange, strangely. And it was, yeah, a long labor again. He didn't want to come out. <laughs> and then, uh, so they, they sucked him out with the vacuum, you know, and, uh, and then he was great, but I was tired um, my only warning, I wish I'd known more again about science, about breastfeeding. Um, but he arrived in July and it's just, yeah, it was wild. And by October, Jen was starting to transition. So before that, she had to freeze a bunch of sperm. Yes. Right? I, w- I want to hear all about the freezing of the sperm. We yeah. love talk about, we love talking about frozen sperm on this show. <laughs> Oh, great. Right. I mean, like, I get that. It is sort of a funny top of a 
conversation for a trans woman um, because it is just like, it's something that I never liked about my body that I could do that. You know, it's interesting too, because there are a lot of trans women people like really, really wish that they could have a biological baby themselves, like come out of them which I think like the technology is almost there, like for real, I am not one of those people. Like I like, you know, if I was cisgender, um, I would be the partner that doesn't carry the baby still. <laughs> like that's just me. So like, you know, the, yeah. So it's really weird. You, I'm, you decide you're like, I'm finally going to transition. I'm finally going to come out. And the, one of the first things I had to do was go like really interact in a way with my body that was like, not that interesting to me or, um, you know, it, it was pretty awkward. Right. Cause like you go to the clinic and like, it's like a dude, they're play. really cool. They're really cool. But it does, it does. T I mean like, yeah, like most of the people there are going to be cis men. Like that's just the way that it is. I mean, in California, especially cause my bank's in Berkeley, like, look, they have a lot of trans um, feminine customers. I'm sure they are like so, so, um, competent in dealing with trans people, which like not all doctors are, um, or not all the medical establishment is. Um, like I once went to an urgent care and this was like very early in my transition. And I told them I was taking estrogen and that I was transgender. And because I still looked fairly masculine, they were like, you look amazing. Like you, they thought I was a trans man. Like out of urgent care, and they knew I was taking estrogen. It's just like, how do you, how does that not compute for you, doctor? But um, yeah, so it's always sort of a crapshoot. But in California, I think it's great. They're used to us. Like we are a known quantity or entity of, of clients out there. You know, some of them are going to be trans women. Um, and I'm really glad I did because I didn't really want to because I'm not, I was never sure I wanted another child, especially because like children are very difficult. Um, oh, and I yeah, feel they're a lot the of worst. They're the worst sometimes. <laughs> they, well, and it's just like, it's such a responsibility. I mean, I just take this so, so seriously. And I do work with like a lot of messed up kids. Like I'm not going to lie. And that stresses me out. Like I see a lot of really good parents with really messed up kids. And I think like, fuck, you know, like that could really happen to any of us. And that's something you have to take on. The crapshoot. Um, but yeah, so like, so it you, a, it's weird. So I'm, I just to clarify in my head, mm -hmm. timeline stuff, um, uh, the sperm donation had to start happening before, um, Poe was born. What was that timeline? It was, it was right after. Around the same time. Yeah. So basically I came out to Allison, um, in sort of like half came out to Allison, which is pretty normal as genderqueer, um, realized I was going to have to just like bite the bullet and go through with it in or in the middle of that Poe was born. So like a month after Poe was born, I came out as a trans woman to Allison after having coming out as, um, genderqueer before. And so between that, that day and starting hormones two months later, I had to get things squared away because one of the things people do is you can come off hormones. And if you still have testicles, um, which like, I'm proud to say I do not, but if you still do, you can try to get your fertility back. Um, it's iffy. Because the estrogen messes with it a little bit, the sperm count. There's a 
Well, there's a couple things that happen when you go on HRT. It's not because trans science has been pretty disregarded for, you know, the last 50 years. It's interesting. So if you know the the famous picture of the Nazis burning books from 1934, that's trans science they're burning. That, That is a picture of the Trans and LGBTQ Institute in Berlin where they were actually like helping treating transgender people in Germany in the 20s. Uh, before the Nazis burned all the research. And so, um, yeah, the, basically, you you do a couple of things when you start transitioning. You you want estrogen, so you get estrogen. And then you want an anti-androgen, androgen being, an androgen being testosterone, right? So it's, a, it's something to either suppress your testosterone production or inhibit the uptake of testosterone. The problem here is that these drugs are not made for us. And so the drugs that do that kind of thing are anti-cancer drugs, typically, like anti-prostate cancer drugs. So they have like all these side effects, basically. So to regain fertility when people try to do this, um, they basically go off all of that because you got to let your body sort of do what it wants to do, I guess. Um, So it's really not recommended to try to do that because also like, you know, you're putting yourself through menopause by coming off like estrogen after having already physically transitioned, you know, like it's not a fun time for people that have to do it. And like for those, for people who really don't like how testosterone makes them feel mentally and physically, like that really, that really sucks. I couldn't imagine doing that. So my way around it was like, I froze um, sperm and I have to say it probably cost me like four grand, five grand for the listeners out there. Whoa. Is that a a lot? That's a lot for sperm. Yeah, I think it was like, it was how many like specimens you wanted. Yeah. And also if you want it washed or unwashed. Okay. So like I tended to I don't know about any of this like first of all I don't know what those two differences are like I am pretty ignorant I just want to put that out there so like I just did whatever was expensive as long for as many times as I felt like I could I want the most expensive thing on the menu right like yeah (laughs) and we pay when we pay $500 a year to store it so I'm including that as well got it Um, like three years of storage got it okay that that makes yeah that makes a little bit more sense the storage fees um okay so i mean you're kind we're kind of getting into this a little bit um you know how has this affected future parenting goals and why specifically did they ask you to freeze the sperm or was that a personal choice oh that was my choice that was our choice that was like something allison really wanted me to do so i did it Okay, Allison. Yeah, I so like I said, I always knew and wanted um, children, and I didn't want to close that door. <laughs> Even though I was like fresh off of having Poe, and after I had Poe, I was like, keep reminding me, keep telling me that I don't want to do that again, that I don't want to <laughs> go through childbirth again. Remind me of that later. But I still like. There's a force beyond my control within me that I I do want to have another child. And so I just, yeah, it was important to me that we leave that door open for another time. Just have that as an option. As an option. Yeah, exactly. 
Got it. What were people's reactions when you started sharing the details? I think, I mean, I think people were super surprised. (laughs) I think, um, I I don't think anyone was like, oh yeah, I always thought, you know, Jen would transition. It was, it was a, it was a shock, I think to, to most folks, but I think we're pretty lucky in that most of our family, definitely the family that we're closest to, uh, were amazing. Um, yeah, we had, we had a couple family members do weird things, but I think there's a lot of ignorance there. Um, and most of our friends were cool. Like there's like the odd person kind of here or there that like has kind of disappeared or said something weird. But for the most part, people have been great. Can you tell us the weird comments? <laughs> um, trying to think. Or I mean, one like, of them, or in general, you can generalize. Yeah, I mean, I we had one friend, and this was like we didn't have any friends say anything weird about like us having a kid or anything like that. It was really that we had like one friend that like had has, I think, issues with, like, tokenization. (laughs) Like, she was like, oh, I'm so happy to finally have a trans friend. And it's like, wait, that's a weird thing to say. Why didn't you have any before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why do I have to be your notch on that belt? Yeah. And just, like, how are you – why are you categorizing your friends that way? Yeah. 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 And I think, like, people just had – I don't know. I don't know if this is still the case, but – um even three years later, but like people have like a pretty specific stereotype about what they think a trans woman looks like, particularly like both pre and post transition. Um, And I have like always acted how I act, which is like an assertive femme lesbian, like, um, but people saw a different rapper and like people really look at how you look and interpret things from that. I think that's like something that just is the case. And so they saw a very specific rapper and they just thought like this person um, isn't transgender, isn't a woman or whatever they think, you know, like, I don't really know. But the funny thing is like inside, like we were always queer. Like we always talked to each other about how we had a queer marriage, like even before I transitioned. Um, But what it really does is it shifts like, how other families perceive you. I think in a fairly positive way, but it was hard because, you know, you sort of have like the adult, like couple friends that you just sort of like get. And like very few of those like sort of made it out unscathed because, you know, people in those situations and no offense to the the cishet people out there in the world, like y'all are great. Like I'm friends with some cisgender heterosexual people. They're great people, but like there are certain sort of weird norms that like queer people just don't adhere to and how we have like friendships with partners. Does that make sense? I don't know. Could you give me an example? Well, you know, there's like, you know, there's like the pairing off, like the, the, like Mm. in heterosexual relationships, you have the dudes and you have the women and you know, there's like, it just, that never worked for me. Like, no matter how I looked. So, yes. Like, I, it was always sort of like weird. 
I see what you're um, saying. You know, like the kids, you know, the women gravitate towards totally. doing whatever needs to be done in the kitchen. And then the dudes are, you know, talking, talking about, you know, football or something. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Or, yeah, and then you're like, oh, we should really get together and do a ladies' night. Like, just these people, you know? And it's like, well, maybe the dynamics are different. Maybe our friendship kind of transcends those binaries. (laughs) But it's interesting. Yeah. But then, like, the amazing people, like, show up. I mean, that's the shitty thing about being a trans person in this world right now is, like, you're a a walking litmus test. If someone knows that I'm transgender, how they treat me is going to reveal a lot about who they are, you know? And it's just, that just is the case. Um, So some people were really amazing, and, like, I became better friends with them, and they really stepped up. Can you speak to that more, Jen? Like, what, what did that look like? What did that stepping up look like? Just sort of like leaning into a friendship in a way that wasn't objectifying. So just like not making it about me transitioning or the fact that like I'm not cis, but more just like really showing support for me as like a human, you know, and also being respectful of like who I am, you know, like getting my pronouns right, getting my name right, stuff like that. Um that's sort of what I would say. There's nothing special. Like the stuff that people think are like the special ways to like support a different friend, you know, and I say different, like trans, queer, POC is to like treat them different. That is not the right way. Like to emphasize that difference is how you like break a friendship. Um, Mm. Because that's not what the person in my position is really looking for. Oh, that is powerful. I think that's so good. I think that's so good. Thanks. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. And like, you know, I'm pretty real about this kind of stuff. This isn't like my first conversation um, structured like this, you know, where I'm sort of like sharing slash teaching. So I'm really happy to do it. And I just like, I appreciate you listening to it because I know like we're a very small group of people that seem to really be focused on, you know, in a way that's sort of weird. Um, and I think like we, we really just are like everyone else, you know, hundred we want the same stuff out of life basically. Absolutely. I, um, what do you wish you knew before starting all of this? Um, what has been the biggest frustration throughout it all? Um, any misconceptions about, um, that you've come across with parenting as well as transitioning? I think with both parenting and with Jen's transition, I think it's shown me not to worry as much as I do, which is a lot easier to do in, in retrospect, but like, there's so many things that I got so worked up about and I was so worried about like what might happen or, you know, how we would be treated or what someone would say or like, you know, that I, I wouldn't be taking as good a care of Poe as I could be or should be and all of that. Um, and it's just, I think you can trust yourself a little bit more um, that that people are understanding and are good and that they do have to adapt and that as long as like we kind of have each other, Jen and Poe and I, that we'll, we'll be okay. I spent a lot of time. I, I, um, wish I hadn't worrying. 
Jen? Yeah, I think it really taught me that like I could be, I could do something like this my own way, you know, like I could have a family and it could look the way that having a family makes sense to me instead of, or, and also be the way having a family makes sense to me. Um, and I think like the frustrations, I guess, are really around how hard it is to be two moms. Like, look, I, I knew exactly, I knew intellectually how hard it was to, to like be perceived as a woman in the world. Living that life is very different. And so like just on my own level, but then also like on the level of like being two working women in this world, like moms are at such a disadvantage, like generally economically and socially, you put two of us together and it like compounds a lot of these pains that are very specific to being moms in our society. And like, we are very lucky and, and, you know, relatively safe and relatively well off. And it still can be really, really hard for us. Like think about all the other people, you know, who don't have some of the the safety that we do um, and how they deal with it. I think that's what really frustrates me is how like our society really celebrates marriage, really celebrates childbirth. And then just like leaves all of our moms just like out to dry. Yes. Yes. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think you said something really um, important, Jen, that I just want to echo is just the definition of family is like, what does a family look like? And, and having the freedom to define that, to define your own family dignity, I think is very, um, I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I think we, I feel very lucky that we live in the Bay Area where those, where it's pretty easy to, to define it the way you, you need to. And, um, but in other parts of the country and in the world, it's not so easy. That's so true. I mean, we made, it was a real deliberate choice for us to settle down in Berkeley where we live, you know, with the schools where they're having, you know, amazing pride parades and celebrating, you know, diversity and inclusion. And it was important for us to be in a place where we could do that. But it it is a real privilege. You know, It, it really does suck that these places that are so expensive and hard to live are also the places that are more um, accepting of everyone. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for couples that may be listening to this episode that are in the same boat as you? Go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Say the same thing. Um, You know, we didn't start couples therapy until fairly recently. Um, We've tried and we had a therapist that didn't work out with, and then we tried another one. But I wish that as we were starting all of this, we would have just done that. We were in our own therapy, which is amazing. I recommend that to everyone, but especially people having children who are going to be imparting their own, you know, wisdom and communication style and emotional kind of approach to uh, another person. I think, yes, go to therapy, but couples therapy, I think, um, has been really incredibly helpful for us um, in being able to communicate our our feelings and in a really honest and productive way. 
Yeah. I think the reality is that like two queer women in this world are going to have trauma and we're going to have issues. And like, if you want to try to help, help build a relationship that works like with those issues, instead of sort of constantly rubbing up against each other in a negative way, then therapy is really, really helpful. And I think like, it's something that we've really benefited from. And was it hard to find a therapist, a good therapist? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, we, so we had to figure out what style of couples therapy we were looking for. And and we did that by process of elimination. We realized, you know, with our first couples therapist that the Gottman method was not for us. That like, you know, the, the worksheets and activities and in that way of thinking just didn't work for our relationship. But then once we figured out that there was another way that emotional focus therapy was the way, um, we just really needed a recommendation of, of someone who was queer competent. Queer competent. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. With that word. Yes. Yeah. It was important, um, that, yeah, we'd be able to speak openly and freely and that the person be able to speak the same language as us. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, how can people follow you and connect with you on the old gram? Sure. So my uh, personal handle is Al, A-L underscore Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. And my podcast handle is the Bloom Saloon podcast. And we are very active on Instagram. It's very fun. And your podcast is amazing. It talks all about Judy Bloom books, correct? That's right. It's a Judy Bloom book club podcast. We also read non-Judy, but they have to be kind of Judy adjacent. They either the same era or style. Judy-ish. Judy-ish. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's really amazing. Jen? Oh, yeah. So my Instagram is Jen from the Valley. Come follow me and you'll learn about trans people. Love it. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I love you guys. And, you know, I, I can't wait till we can see each other. Thanks. Same. Same. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week.